Love rules. It is just probably the most beautiful thing in the world, love. It is the month of love. And therefore, we are talking not only about the beauty of love, but we are also talking about the rules that God has given us for love. Why? Because just as beautiful as love can be, just as much it can hurt us, right? Love can, if you've ever been hurt by a family member, if you've ever been hurt by someone that you loved, that you were in a relationship with, if you've ever been stabbed in the back by a friend, you know how much love can hurt. And therefore, God doesn't only give us love to enjoy, but God gives us certain rules to help us and put us within the boundaries of beautiful love, to help us to experience love to its fullest, most beautiful extent. And we've already talked about the deepest form of love we can have, our love with God. Then we talked about last week, just before Valentine's Day, our love with our spouse. So if you have missed one of those, you can go and catch up on YouTube, on Spotify, on iTunes. And today we're going to continue talking about the next circle. Now I grew up in a family that I want to say was pretty amazing. It's probably one of those families that most people dream about or a lot of people dream about. It was a stable family. It was a loving family. It was a family that loved Jesus. But guess what? We didn't always get along. Okay, we were four siblings. And basically, it was the three of them against me. <laughs> and this is normally how it went. Louis had a fight with this one, so Louis got a spanking. Then Louis had a fight with this one, so Louis got a spanking again. And then he had a fight with this one, so he got a spanking again. That was kind of like the story of my life. And then I grew older, and the older I got, the more I turned into my dad. Have you ever experienced that? And you're like, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, right? And um, then that meant that my dad and I started bumping heads when I was in high school. And I want to tell you, as, as well as we got along, just as good we could have a really like, crazy fight. My mom sometimes had to be middleman. But this is the thing, we always stuck together. I was never the biggest guy in school, but when a bully like, said the wrong thing to my brothers, I would like, pull them to the side after, after school, and I'm like, listen, you speak to my brother again, that's it, like, you're done. And like, you don't care, right? You will fight for your family. You will go the extra mile for your family. You always stick together. And today I'm in a family where we love each other ridiculously. I love my wife. I love my two girls. And it's probably like a fairly beautiful family as well. But guess what? We also don't get along. I've got a three-year-old daughter that's me in girl miniform. <laughs> and probably if you have a toddler, you know this anyway. But she's more extreme because she's my child. She's got a super strong opinion about what she eats, about how she dresses, about what time she goes to bed. I'm like, can we just have a normal day without fighting about brushing your teeth, right? It's like we don't always get along. I don't know about your family. Maybe it's pretty stable. Maybe it's not that healthy. Maybe you were sticking together. Maybe you don't stick together. But I believe there is a principle in the Bible a rule in the Bible that will help us to overcome the messiness, that will help us to overcome the difficulties in our families without having to change everyone around us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. How can we be a healthy family despite the messiness in our lives? And our topic today, our third topic in the series, Love Rules, is very simply loving my family. And we're going to read a piece of scripture today that whether you grew up in church or not, you probably know this, because just as many times as this have been read at in church, 
more than that has been read at weddings, and almost the same amount has been read on movies, weddings in movies, even if it's completely secular. Okay, it's that famous of a scripture. So we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 13. If you've got your Bibles, you can open to 1 Corinthians 13. It's kind of like a couple of chapters where Paul talks about all the gifts that God gave us to serve each other. But then he says there is one thing that is more important than anything else, and that is, we saw it on the screen as well, love. Most important of all is love. If we don't have love, he says it's worth nothing. Like all of the gifts in the world is worth nothing. So let's read 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 4 to verse 7 or 8. I can't remember. I've got 8 on the screen. I've got 7 on my notes. Okay, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way, it is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, it never loses faith, it is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. Isn't this the most beautiful description of love? It is such a beautiful description of love that even secular movies can't help but use it. Because like, no matter what song we're going to play, this description of love is even better. And when I read this, Paul didn't write this to his actual family, his blood family. He wrote, this to, he wrote it to his church family. And this is a principle that we can use in our church family that we can use of people around us, but I believe it is a very important principle for our own blood families as well. That sounds like a happy, healthy family, right? We're always patient with each other. Even when I get home from work and I'm really tired, we're not jealous. Even if sister got a better phone than I did, um, I don't want things my own way. So I will always wash the dishes because I don't want everyone else to serve me. Um, I'm not irritable. Even when my brother has has um, kicked me off the bed or something, it, I it doesn't remember being wrong. We never bring the things of yesterday um, up again and it never gives up. We just always stick together no matter what happens, what circumstances. Isn't that all that family should be? Doesn't that just sound like a perfect family? It does, right? And I believe that is God's design because God designed us to live perfect lives in a perfect world. But then he gave us this one random thing that we called free will. And we decided, no, God, we don't want your perfect world. We don't want your perfect relationships. We want to mess up a little bit. So things went wrong. But when I read this, I read about a family in which we bring out the best in each other. In which we are each other's biggest cheerleaders. In which parents bring out the best in their children. The Bible says parents that teaches their children to follow the Lord. They will be a blessing in their old days, like quivers, like arrows in the quiver of an, an archer. You will never be disappointed. I read about how parents are the joy of their children. I read all of these beautiful scriptures, grandchildren, the biggest blessing for, for the grandparents. It is so beautiful. That is what family is supposed to be like. Desmond Tutu from South Africa he wrote in a book and he said, you don't choose your family. 
They are God's gift to you just as you are God's gift to them. We are a gift to each other in the family. That is the way God designed it. But let me ask you to think a little further than that. If, if you think about your family members, so think about your wife, think about your husband, think about your brothers, your parents, whatever. Like Picture the actual people in your mind. Those people you love. And then I want to ask you, is the description that we read about them in 1 Corinthians 13, is that accurate? Because when I think about my own family and when I think about my own life, whether it was my family of origin or my family that I currently have, I'm like, I think we fail at pretty much everything on this list. Paul talks about being patient. Are you patient or do you regularly lose your patience and get snippy with your wife or your husband and your, your children or your siblings? It says it is kind. Are you kind or do you get frustrated over the little things they do? Like why didn't you close the toilet seat? Why is there underwear on the floor? It's not jealous. I'm like, if you have children, like we used to, my mom used to pack out the glasses. We were four, right? And she would then... Um, she would serve cold drink, what do you guys call it? Pop, sugary drink, something like that. She would serve it for us. And then this is how it works if you're four siblings. You go on your knee, you check it perfectly. Like if there's a millimeter out, there's, there's trouble, right? Like, but it says we're not jealous. We shouldn't mind if the other one's got more, more juice than I have. It's not boastful or proud. You're like, oh, I'm so glad I'm fine with at least one. I'm not boastful or proud. Let me ask you it in another way. Do you assume the worst about your family members and jump to a negative conclusion? You just assume that your child messed up again. You just assume the worst about your spouse. You just jump to the negative conclusion when they're late from work. That means that you actually think you're better than they are. So you're proud, you're boastful, even if you didn't think you were. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. Do you expect them to always meet your needs where you are at? It's not irritable. I'm like, I don't even have to explain that one, right? Do they have little quirks that just irritate you? No. It doesn't keep a record of being wrong. Like, have you ever been in a fight and you never brought up something from the past? I know that's the rule, right? We don't bring things up from the past, but that's the first thing we do when we're in a fight. You remember two years ago when you did that, when you bumped the car? Uh -huh. Do not rejoice about injustice. Rejoice is whenever truth wins. Do you rejoice when the truth wins or do you rejoice when your truth wins? Because there's a difference. It doesn't give up, it never loses faith, it's always hopeful, and it endures. We stick together no matter what. Guys, what is sad to me is when I read this beautiful description of love, I realize that our reaction to the people we say we love the most, our family, our reaction to them is often the exact opposite of what Paul is describing. I still put up a pretty face when I'm with my work colleagues or when I'm at church, right? But my family always get the worst part of me. When I read this, I'm like, dude, you, you are giving me some impossible, impossible things to follow. I can't stick to all of this. And the question is why? 
Why does our love not look like this? Why does our families not look like this? And there's a twofold answer, but they connect to each other. Okay, the first part of this is because people, and let me just clarify when I say people, that includes me and that includes you. Okay, people are not perfect. Okay, and this is the thing about relationships. A relationship means that two or more less than perfect people suddenly form a new unit or suddenly thrown into one house or suddenly form an alliance. And it's like, what can go wrong when two or more less than perfect people are thrown into one tiny spot, right? I think that's why our houses keep getting bigger. <laughs> like, let's, let's move, move apart a little bit. Because the reality, whenever you put two flawed people together, two or more flawed people together, it won't take long until a list of complaints develop. They are jealous, they are selfish, they are irresponsible, they are proud. And all of those complaints, all of those things we experience, those are the things that pull us apart and they threaten to destroy the fibers of a family. You see, we struggle with this because we're not perfect. Perfect people wouldn't struggle with irritability, wouldn't struggle with patience, wouldn't struggle with endearing, wouldn't mind the truth to win. But we aren't perfect people. And I'm thankful that the Bible says, Lou, don't worry about it because only one is perfect and that is Jesus. Because otherwise, this might have really upset me because I could never live up to that standard. But you see, we struggle, one, because we're not perfect, because we have sinned, because we are separated from God. That's why Jesus died on a cross for us so that we can overcome some of those struggles. But secondly, I think there is a very strategic attack on the family because families form the very fibers of our society. If you can't separate families, if families fall apart, what happens to our society? Society starts to fall apart. And we have a real enemy, the devil, that will try everything, that will use your weaknesses against you, and that will try everything to separate spouses, to separate parents and their children, to create disunity, to break our relationships. So why do we struggle? Because all relationships and all people are messy. And because we have a real enemy, and our families are under attack, whether you know it or not. So how do we fix it? We've seen how beautiful family love can be. We've seen what the problem is. Now let's think about God's rule for our family love. How do we fix this problem? How do we get our families to move in a, in a better direction? Paul describes a kind of love. A love that blows my mind. A love that has blown the mind of the world for centuries. Paul describes this kind of love that is so different to the kind of love we have. And the first thing that goes through my mind when I read this is I'm like, were those people different? Did they not have like the stressors that we have? Did they have different kind of issues? So maybe it was really simple and easy for them to love each other this way. Like, did he just write to completely different people? And the answer is no. You see, we do not have the most amount of stress in the world. I can assure you, when you live through a World War I or World War II, there's some significant stressors. When you went through the Spanish influenza, where what, 50 million people died? There's some stressors. When you go through a Great Depression and there's no food on your table, that's some stressors. When you lived in the biblical times and... 
The Romans wanted to kill you for just professing that you're following Jesus. That's some stressors. When you left hand to mouth and you get sick and you can't go to work and you know your family won't eat, that is stressors. These people had issues just as we have issues. They were people just as we are people. So it's not just that Paul wrote to people that were so different to us that they just found it easy to love each other. No. Paul had a model of love that was so different to the way that we naturally love each other. Let me tell you what model it was. Ephesians 4, verse 32, another book that, was, that came out of his pen. He wrote this, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Two things that we kind of also find in the list in Corinthians, right? And then he says, Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, so he doesn't just say, forgive each other and love each other and everything is fine and and you will just be great. He's like, no, you need a different model in order to forgive each other, in order to have compassion, in order to be kind. He says the same thing in Colossians. He writes this to a different church, Colossians 3 verse 30. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you might have against each other. Because guess what? We're broken people. We, our relationships are messy. We will hurt each other. In families, between friends, in the church. You've ever been hurt by someone? You're not alone. We all are hurt by people all the time. It's like, but forgive each other as the Lord forgave you. And then he adds love put on. And over all of these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, this is the interesting part. When Paul wrote these, this beautiful statement about love, it's not that it was easier for people back then. When Paul looked at love, he looked at a model that we don't have. He looked at someone that models something that we need to look at, look to, and that was Jesus. See, this is basically what he's saying in all of this. We don't treat people. We don't love people. We don't love our family in the way they deserve. We love them in the way I was loved by God. My model changes. Where it's not about what they have done for me or how nice they have been with me and therefore I give them a certain amount of love. I look at them and despite the fact that we are broken, despite the fact that we are messy, despite the fact that we hurt each other, we love each other, we forgive each other the way that Jesus loved and loves us, the way he forgave us. This is God's model. And this is the model that Paul says if you want to know how to love each other, follow God's model. You see, as Christians, the greatest gift that we have ever received is the gift of grace. Maybe you grew up in church, so it's a word you know, but you haven't really understood what it meant before. But when God sent His only Son to earth to die for our sins, not His sins, not His mistakes on a cross, He showed us tremendous grace. Grace that we cannot even comprehend. And he offered us through that a gift of salvation, forgiveness. He offered us through that the gift of eternal life. And if you don't understand all of this, we've got a clause after the service to help you in a very simple way understand what that means. That is the greatest gift, the greatest show of love that we could have 
ever received. Jesus, in fact, said the greatest love is to lay down your life for the people you love, for your friends. And he did that. So not only is the greatest gift we can ever receive the gift of grace, but the greatest gift we can ever give is the gift of grace. See, we'll never be able to offer grace in the same magnitude that Jesus offered it to us. But we should still offer grace in all of our relationships. When Paul wrote this list, I think he wrote it because he knew people are irritable, people are impatient, people do go and use the things of the past in the fight. People don't always stick together. People do struggle. People do hurt each other. And therefore, it gives us the perfect picture of love because he knew we would mess up and tells us, look at Jesus, look at the way he loved you, and then despite the problems, try to love your family that way by offering them grace. And I know if you're sitting here today, maybe you're thinking like, Louis, it is impossible for me to offer grace to some people because some relationships have been so harmful. Some relationships have hurt me so deeply. Maybe it was your dad. Maybe it was a sibling that you just feel like, I can never offer them grace. I can never love them that way. I can't have patience with them. I cannot not be irritable. I, it's impossible. I cannot not use the old things from the past because it has been too toxic. It's been too harmful. They don't deserve it. But let me tell you the thing about grace. You see, grace is not dependent on the worthiness of the other person. We weren't worth God's grace. The Bible says we were sinners. We were God's enemies. But guess what he did? He gave us grace anyway. He said, I will love you even if you don't love me. Grace is not dependent on the worthiness of the other person. It is by its very definition undeserved. See, through grace, when we offer someone grace, despite the fact that they've hurt us, despite the fact that they are messy, despite the fact that they are difficult, our love becomes kind, our love becomes patient. Our love becomes not boastful and proud. It stops wanting things my own way. It doesn't keep book of the wrongs. And it never gives up. Grace believes the best about my family members. It believes the best about other people. It sees what God sees in them. It fights through the messiness of this particular moment in time where it hurts so much, where it's so difficult. It fights through that moment. It fights through that behavior. And it remembers that this person in front of me, my husband, my wife, my brother, my sister, my child, my dad, my uncle, they are sons and daughters of the Most High King. When we receive and share God's grace, it stops shame and it stops hatred and it stops defensiveness in its tracks. And suddenly, all of that brokenness has lost its power to tear our families apart. Grace breathes life into what is broken. And it allows your relationships an opportunity to thrive. 
Now I want to ask someone to help me. I want to do a little illustration. Let's see who's there. Okay, Jacob, you're it. If you're sitting in the front row, it's the best seat. We call it the spitting seats. But you will also be used to come up. <clears throat> Can you put your arm out? This is the thing about a plant, right? You get a nice way to bind plants like bonsais and stuff so that it, that it ha- takes a certain shape and, a, and, and grows in a certain way. But binding any plant or binding any person can also be really bad. It can suffocate it. Like there is no way someone can flourish when they are bound There is no way someone can be healthy or they can walk or they can reach their full potential or they can climb a tree for that matter. Yes, you know what he does for a living. When they are bound, right, this will suffocate. This will suffocate you. And when we don't have grace with each other, it's like we're binding a string, a rope around our families and we keep making it tighter and tighter so finally it turns blue But grace is like the scissors. Grace is like the scissors who come and cuts open all of the hatred and all of the pain and all of the bad stuff that has drowned, that has that has pressed the life. Thank you. You may have a seat. You can keep that as your reminder for being on this stage. (laughs) That unkindness, the pride, the irritability, the remembering every wrong. Grace is like the scissors that cuts through it, that gives the plant, that gives the relationship the opportunity to thrive again, to reach its full potential. Because that's what family is about. Parents bringing their children up to do what? To reach their full potential. A family is there to support each other and help each other to reach their full potential. And I know when you see this, it looks like a pretty illustration, but it is hard when I am already stringed up by all of these things, right? It is hard when, when I've already been hurt. And therefore what Paul is talking about, don't think that's easy. Don't think it's just natural to us. It isn't. Do you know what is natural? Pride. Do you know what is natural? Sin. Do you know what is natural? Hating. Do you know what is natural? Remembering all the wrongs. Tying those ropes tighter and tighter. That's natural to us. That's what the Bible calls a sinful nature. So what Paul is talking about is not natural. It is supernatural. It is a love that flows out of the love and the grace that God has for us. It doesn't come out of ourselves. And therefore, if you've been listening to any of these messages, you would have seen a reoccurring theme. No matter what kind of love we're talking about, I believe it's impossible without God. And we talked about that in the first week. Why? Because the Bible says God is love. He created us in His image. How can we understand love? How can we comprehend it? How can we love each other if we don't know the Creator, the designer of love? You can go and read books. You can go and see a counselor. All of that's good. But I don't think it's enough. They will tell you all kinds of interesting things like honesty and trust and communication. Those are the most important things. It's all true. But I don't think it's enough. Because truth can be, I'm better than you for you. 
Truth can be going up to your wife and telling her, I just had an affair. Truth can be speaking out of an emotion and telling someone you hate them. Communication. None of this is enough. We need something that is so much deeper than just the habit. We need something that's so much deeper than just our logic. Something that speaks to the heart of the problem. And I believe there's only one thing and that is grace. So I don't know what your family of origin looks like. I don't know what your current family situation looks like. But I want to challenge you today. I want to ask you, why don't you make a choice to rediscover grace? And let me make it clear, I only believe you can rediscover it when you truly know Jesus. So if Christianity is still just a tradition for you, and you do not truly understand what it is, go to the next step, step into faith class after the service. If you do not follow Jesus yet, I want to tell you, why don't you make a choice today to immerse yourself in His love and His grace and His beauty? But why don't you rediscover grace today? Because I believe when you rediscover grace, it will change every relationship in your life and it will change your families. But this is what I do know. If you're unwilling to do that without grace, we cannot have healthy family relations. It's impossible. Because our pride will get in the way. Our hatred will get in the way. Our hurt will get in the way. So why don't you make a choice to rediscover grace? And in that moment when you feel hurt, in that moment when someone is doing something that drives you up the wall, why don't you choose for grace to cut through that moment and then to see the beauty of the person that God created in front of you? Let's pray. Jesus, you know so well That family can be messy. God placed you, God chose to place you in a family on earth. And initially they didn't believe in you and they didn't follow you. And you understand why we struggle and how we struggle. And therefore you have showed us the most beautiful form of love and grace we can ever experience. I want to pray today, Jesus, that we will rediscover your grace. That it will change the deepest parts in our hearts. That it will change the way we look at our family members, the way we act towards them. May we act in grace. May the grace that you have for us cut through my own hatred, my own anger, my own defensiveness. My own brokenness. May it help me to share the love of Jesus with the people that you have placed closest in my life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.